0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the
1: podcast
0: that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day.
1: I'm your host, Emily Flippin.
0: I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials.
1: Today we're talking consumer goods.
0: Wildcard! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in.
1: Welcome to Industry Focus. It's Wednesday, August 12th, and I'm your host, Emily Flippin. For this Wild Card Wednesday, I'm joined by Motley Fool advisor and gaming aficionado Aaron Bush to talk about gaming in China and the companies leading the way. Aaron, thanks for joining. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Emily.
1: Yeah, it's always a treat whenever we get to snag you. But before we get into today's topic, I want to establish you as the expert that you are on this topic. Obviously, Fools here are aware of you as our resident in house gaming expert, among a host of many other things. But for all of our listeners out there, where might they know you from or where might they be able to find more information about you?
0: Yeah, so at the Motley Fool, I focus on the blastoff portfolios, I spent time in Supernova Rule Breakers, a few other um, services. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AaronBush100. And as for gaming itself, I run a blog called Master the Meta. You can find it at masterthemeta.com It's just a side hobby, but I um, and a handful of other writers that I'm working with, we dig into the business strategy of the video game industry. So I'm not, I'm not a China expert. I'm not a, a geopolitics expert. Emily probably has me beat there. But gaming is a global industry that I think a lot about, and I'm excited to talk about it today.
1: It makes my job as a host really easy because I sign up for your newsletter. And whenever I'm struggling to find a topic, I always just check out, oh, well, what did Master the Meta write about this week, right? That's an easy starting point. So I'm kind of having a cop out here by having you on. But I do think it's an important conversation to have because whenever we hear about uh, Chinese companies in particular, Obviously, there's a lot of geopolitical tension happening right now, but when you think about gaming as well, that's largely been driven by news around the pandemic, and it's something you've written and studied extensively, especially as companies have started to come out and report earnings. So, the pandemic is still very much shaping the way that we are viewing gaming companies right now, That right there's no denying that. But I do want to talk about some of the other risks that we're seeing. Just apart from the pandemic, uh, the amount of news and noise there is around geopolitical risk between Chinese companies, potential delistings, a TikTok acquisition. I want to dig into gaming companies in China more specifically. So you've kind of mentioned that we've have you know, been headed into what you call a uh, Cold War 2.0 with China. And before we jump into gaming specifically, I'm interested to know, broadly speaking, how do you think a Cold War 2.0 would impact Chinese companies listed here in the US, even if they only do business within China?
0: yeah so i think cold war 2.0 so to speak really kicked off when the ban of huawei escalated and so it very much was about preventing spying and protecting data but the narrative is also very much a war of ideology where china is looking to reclaim the title of number one country number one economy and using that influence to Spread its ideology both through nation states, like we're kind of seeing in Hong Kong and Taiwan now, but also through businesses, which I think is a difference <laughs> between Cold War 1.0 and potentially Cold War 2.0. That might be too strong a phrasing, but that's increasingly how it's starting to feel to me. So, again, I'm not I'm not a China expert, but there are ripple effects on how businesses operate, and there will, I think, be more striking changes to come. Um, both for foreign companies operating in china and chinese companies operating outside of china specific to your question about chinese companies that are listed in the u.s but solely do business in china that's that's not something the u.s would probably take action on it's favorable to the u.s to capture value that's being created elsewhere um but it's the type of situation where China would probably want to change that a bit. So I think that's part of why we're seeing a bunch of Chinese companies starting to duel list on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. And we might get to a point where Chinese companies decreasingly IPO in the US that might already be starting to some degree. And and I think that there's a non zero chance of or not yeah non-zero chance political threat of chinese companies delisting from us stock exchanges but that doesn't strike me as super likely at least not anytime soon I don't think
1: I want to dig into that more before I do I just let anybody who is listening either over our podcast or listening to us live as you record this you have drilling happening in your condo right now so if you hear a little bit of noise in the background unfortunately that's the reality of the covid situation we're in right now so apologies I'm trying my best for that. I'm trying
0: my best we'll we'll pull through. <laughs>
1: Definitely. And so we've heard a lot of news about the potential sale of TikTok and WeChat, among a host of other potential Chinese companies here in the U.S., and I won't ask you to comment on that unless you want to. You mentioned you're not a geopolitical expert. That's not your job. But in that same vein, do you think there's an existential spinoff threat for gaming companies that are operating here in the U.S., like we've seen in social media?
0: I don't think it's that strong of a threat, so so I guess starting big picture and then narrowing down, there's a lot of political theater going on, but as I understand it, TikTok and WeChat were banned slash forced to sell because of data concerns and algorithm concerns, which is totally fair. Um, with TikTok, for example, the algorithm is a black box <laughs> to pretty much everyone that, that can both keep users from seeing things, aka censorship, and forcing users to see th- things, aka propaganda, and... That might be happening, it might not be happening. It's just hard for us to tell because, again, the algorithm is a black box. And when it comes to games, that censorship propaganda concern doesn't really exist because it's just, like, it's not that type of platform. So it mostly boils down to data privacy, as I understand it. So I do think it's probably worth investigating (laughs) the data practices of companies like Riot Games behind League of Legends and Superhot Cell behind games like clash of clans clash royale and it's it's worth understanding what data gets passed back to the tencent level the parent company level and therefore what is accessible to the chinese government but it's hard to see how something like league of legends is a national security risk in my opinion but as we've seen with lots of apps there can be lots of tracking going on which has implications for what military people are allowed to use what employees of certain companies are allowed to use so all in all, I don't really see spinoffs as an immediate threat, but it certainly is a possibility if things escalate further. But, but it's, it's not even just about spinoffs, though, too. So Tencent, for example, they, they have opened new gaming studios in the U.S. and other countries. And in general, I think we should support foreign companies working in the U.S. if they follow our laws and if they don't pose security threats. And I think for the most part here, that's, that's probably not too much of an issue. But it is probably time to re-examine those laws and be more proactive about just making sure that we as a country understand these things. So, so for example, Congress should have looked into ByteDance's acquisition of Musical.ly before it converted into TikTok. <laughs> not, not now that TikTok has taken the world by storm. I think that just being more proactive in how we view these things will, will save, a, uh, save us from a bunch of headaches down the road.
1: So, with that out of the way, now let's talk about some of these Chinese gaming companies, which is much closer to what your your bread and butter is. How does you mentioned Tencent and, and League of Legends, for instance, and Tencent being the largest gaming company in the world, although really at this point it's more of an investment house. But let's stick with that title for the time being. Uh, how does geopolitical tension affect Tencent's gaming business?
0: Uh, yeah. So I think if countries crack down on what games are allowed what what tencent can acquire or or three just like where the company can open new studios then i think it could have a sizable impact on tencent so if india for example bans pubg mobile which is a massive game it has a massive it's a massive game owned by tencent that has a large player base in india that's a pretty big blow to that game and that's that's totally possible that said um china China itself has historically been Tencent's larger threat, which is kind of counterintuitive in some sense, but China is the one who banned game approvals for several months. They're the ones who frequently do not approve games. And of course, China's laws also give Tencent a huge advantage Um, as as foreign publishers, like they need to partner with someone like Tencent or NetEase to operate and make money on games in China, so it still works in their favor. Um, but because all of this still is a risk, both China, China's rules themselves and geopolitics as a whole, I think that it very well may limit Tencent's international expansion, but I don't think it stops the company from dominating in China itself, and that's important to remember. As for their portfolio of gaming investments, it's also important to understand that Tencent is extremely diversified. So failure of any one business or any one thing that they can't do, it doesn't really move the needle too much in and of itself. And again, this isn't just a gaming business too, so if it has even less of an impact on Tencent as a whole, which has a giant social division, has tons of other businesses and investments going on so i mean think about they they own something like 40 percent of epic games and and have a good stake in c limited too and both of those are big companies that aren't china-based but are doing important innovative things growing quickly um so so the main risk is less about any particular investment less about like any one thing going wrong and more the possibility that tencent will no longer be able to acquire or publish um, their games in important markets like the U.S. or India that would that would decelerate growth, but again, it's not it's not an existential risk to Tencent's business.
1: I'm happy that you mentioned C Limited. It's a company that gets a lot of attention here at The Fool, and honestly, a lot of investor attention as well. It's going to become a very large business and largely built itself off of as one game, really, which is Free Fire. And I think it escapes a lot of people's minds that Tencent owned such a significant portion of a company like C Limited. Now let's pr- play out a worst-case scenario here for Tencent's gaming profile. Let's say, you know, their ability to license or, or publish games in a handful of countries—the U.S. and India being uh, only a couple of examples. Let's say that happens; they can't expand. Does does having ownership of companies like C Limited that are not based in China but publish their own games does that help mitigate some of that risk?
0: Yeah, I think it. I think it does. I mean, C Limited does. They don't report into Tencent, and therefore a lot of those concerns around, like, what data does the parent company get, therefore what data is the Chinese gover- government going to get, those, those risks don't really exist, so I don't, I don't foresee any of that being too much of an issue, so it is lower risk for Tencent, I think.
1: I wonder if at some point in the future we don't see Tencent taking the same stance that we saw SoftBank take earlier this week when they announced they were going to stop breaking out operating income. Not that you can't find that on your own, but more of a testament to say that, hey, look, the real value of our business here is is not the operating assets that we have, but rather the handful, uh, really in Tencent's case, the dozens by dozens of investments that we've made. They're not quite there yet, but I do have to wonder, five, 10 years from now, if that's not the direction that they're going. Um, And I I don't mean to harp on Tencent too much. It's hard not to talk about Tencent when you talk about Chinese gaming, though. They've taken this very investment-heavy approach to gaming. And what spurred me to want to have this conversation with you is actually a message you sent me regarding a potential merger that Tencent could be spearheading between two Big streaming giants in China. That's Huya and Douyu. Uh, we'll include the the tickers for these companies in the description of today's episode because I know that's a question we get a lot. Uh, it's much easier to read than it is to say. But what do you make of the news that these two big streaming companies, that's Huya and Douyu, could be merged together?
0: I think it's really interesting. I've I've always been bullish on the future of live of live streaming domestically and in, in the U.S. in China and everywhere. It it's an inevitable trend, but what's kept me from investing in China's game streaming market, besides the obvious geopolitical risk that we keep on talking about, is just that it felt competitive. So companies like Huya and Douyu have been fighting for market share for a long time, and they've been competing for talent and users, and that's been a really expensive undertaking for them. Um, so the merger of those two businesses is really interesting, I'm, I'm unsure. Of how exactly that's going to go like like how will the platforms themselves merge how will the cultures themselves merge but and in either case this move creates the definitive top dog in China's gaming live streaming market with with some presence globally too so so it's creating a mega twitch and that's <laughs> that's just fascinating so so I think it means good things for the business over time as they gain clear operating leverage and pricing power, they can probably decrease um, marketing spend and talent spend as a percentage of revenue. That That's my hunch, which will have a profound effect on margins. We will see. Um, and I guess I would just say like they're not alone, like others operate live streaming platforms too. But this merger strikes me as a very good move for these two businesses with the main risk just being execution risk when bringing together two leadership teams, two completely different cultures. Um, both companies have had some differences in their approach to scaling. The technology platforms are different, so there are still a lot of questions, but if there is a path forward and a way to do this, I, it's gonna be really fun to watch. And it's, a, it's again, it's a testament to Tencent's power and influence to be able to, to make deals like this happen. So I, uh, if anything, it's a fascinating case study, but I, I lean more on the bullish end of the spectrum on the deal.
1: So, you might not know the answer to this, and I selfishly am going to ask it anyway because it's a company that I follow and I'm a big fan of. That's Bilibili. Um, Bilibili is a competitor in some sense to to Huya and Douyu, although it is also invested in by giants that include Tencent. It's a it's a more niche play on the streaming market. They target a younger, what they call the Generation Z of China, young audiences. They got their start in anime, comic, and gaming, although they've been making some aggressive expansions into eSports, which puts them in direct competition with the giants that may eventually be the Huya and Douyu combined entity. Now that the streaming market seems to be consolidated in Huya and Douyu, whatever that merger ends up looking like, if it even happens seems to be consolidated in their favor. Do you think that negatively affects the smaller players, Bilibili being one of them?
0: I think so. Um, uh, that would be my guess. So, in and, and reality, live streaming isn't just about games, so, but it's a really strong foothold. So, when Huya and Douyu merge and have a massive combined audience, my guess is that they'll pretty quickly leverage that audience. Um, and a lot of the spend that they had that was going to acquiring people interested in gaming, competing against each other, that'll then probably shift over to competing users that are interested in other adjacent markets, like other parts of ACG and music and other things. So I do think that there is an existential threat to other platforms. And it's, it's really important that a company like Bilibili move as fast as they can to differentiate and build a moat around something that is distinctly Billy Billy, so so that so that their users don't even really think about going to other platforms for whatever Billy Billy is best at. Um, so with that logic, I don't know if I feel great about Billy Billy spending a ton of money to compete in gaming. Like they've spent millions and millions of dollars to get exclusive rights to certain League of Legends tournaments, for example. But, I mean, I would just caveat that by saying their management knows this market much better than I do, so I could very easily be wrong. But I wouldn't want to compete with what this combined Huya and Douyu entity is, so I would be doing everything I can to quickly move into a place that, like, I have defined strengths, and I, I don't see them necessarily doing that to the best of their ability. How, do you agree with that, Emily? Curious to hear your take on that, too.
1: Yeah. I, I, I'm a shareholder in Bilibili. I'm also a shareholder in Huya. was not such a big fan of Douyu. Nothing explicitly wrong with it. But to your point, I didn't see anything that made the Douyu platform special. Clearly, having the scale that could be theirs with a A combination of Bilibili and Huya is really compelling. Uh, I really want to root for Bilibili here. They've always been the underdog, if you will, their founding story, which I've talked about in the past, I won't repeat it here. Uh, It's a really compelling story, and I bought into this story. Their new CEO, relatively new CEO, um, has made numerous statements that he is convinced the only way that streaming platforms in China will survive is if they get scale. And in his mind, he's quoted to say that he expects that to be somewhere around 50 billion US dollars in market capitalization, is the size that he wants Bilibili to be. I think it is going to be much harder to reach that scale going up against a formidable competitor, especially one that has the backing of a company like Tencent in terms of merging the two entities. It's interesting that Bilibili was left out of this combination. I have to wonder if it is because of the community that they've built. They have an entrance exam to essentially you have to take to become a, a full member of the community. So, there's some argument to be made that they could create a moat, just in the sense of having exclusivity on their platform. But to your point, the moves they've made, the money they spent to get into, into eSports, is very different than what their core competency was in ACG, that's the anime, comic, and gaming content that was their founding story. Uh, I'm not sure if this is going to compel me to sell my shares in Bilibili, but I do think that it's going to be really interesting to watch. I would say the situation Bilibili, and honestly, a lot of other smaller streaming sites in China are in right now, is very different if this merger does go through. Not a ton of insight there, uh, mostly a, a wait-and-see approach on my end. So, and the last question I really wanted to ask you before before letting you continue with your day was mostly, again, about political tension and, and about whether or not we'd see innovation coming out of Chinese companies, uh, given the concerns that we've seen on a macro scale. But I think we've hit that point to death <laughs> at this point. I guess I'll, the question I'll lead you off is, with is, when you're looking at the gaming industry, I maybe I'm a little bit of a, a Chinese apologist here for the companies that are innovating in China, but having a tough time because of the tensions internationally. Do you think that there are more compelling opportunities in gaming just by looking at some of the really popular U.S. gaming companies, Activision, EA, Take-Two, or do you think there's an opportunity for Chinese gaming companies, whatever the combined entity of Huya and Douyu is, or Bilibili, to really become that next big thing?
0: So. I think there's opportunity everywhere. Um, I would I would say when you ask the question who is innovating, it, you know, I mean, like I think the U.S. the big U.S. publishers they're great businesses, but they are not the ones who are doing the most innovation. And if you look at gameplay and the speed of development, Chinese developers, from what I can tell, are doing a pretty good job of moving quickly, and and building things that matter. And I think the days of u.s dominated or even just like western dominated apps and websites like that's probably over um, and so my guess would be that we will continue to see a rise of chinese developers and their apps games you know first and foremost they're going to take the world by storm and i think ultimately you know just from like a global perspective having more people compete whether it's in the u.s or china or elsewhere because it's not just those two two companies it's the whole world involved that's a good thing I would also say that um, I mean Tencent—they're innovating a lot. Like it's just because of the ecosystem that they've built. A lot of the innovation that's going on, um, I would say, like like the step-by-step pattern is this: first, like it starts with technological change, and then once like new technology is built that enables new things, new business models are enabled, and then once those those kind of two pieces are clicked in, there's new technology that enables new business models. Then the actual creators go out and build new types of games or new types of experiences. Um, So I, I think that a lot of like the public companies that are out there, they're kind of in that third step, just kind of waiting for other people to innovate on the technology and kind of pioneer new business models. But it's really a lot of the private businesses like Epic Games that are doing really interesting things at the infrastructure level that potentially have like much bigger effects on the industry a- as a whole. And Tim Sweeney, the CEO of Epic Games, like he's a huge proponent of what he calls the metaverse, which, which essentially is kind of like an evolution of the internet where it's like more immersive, more digital, like go through different devices have, like you can work online, play online, lots of different things. Um, and I think the enablers of that are going to be really big winners. But we're still waiting to see who those are and waiting for some of those companies to go public. Game engines, like that's a big piece of who is innovating. So we might see a Unity IPO in the next year or so. And that's the dominant game engine for mobile, which is the largest and fastest growing corner of the gaming industry. So I think that we will see more things as gaming goes more mainstream, which COVID has accelerated. Um, and a lot of these companies start building bigger brands and going public, it's going to get more interesting to public market investors. But for now, I mean, the big gaming companies, there's nothing nothing wrong with them, really. Like EA, fantastic business. Activision, fantastic business. Zynga, Take-Two, they're all fantastic businesses. So it's even if I can like, quibble about, I don't see enough innovation from those companies compared to who else is innovating. Like I, Like, I have my money. those companies. I think all four of those companies I just mentioned, so I still think the opportunity is pretty strong there.
1: I can't wait to see what the future holds for a lot of these companies, especially if we end up having a Unity IPO. You will definitely have to make a reappearance here on Industry Focus if that happens. But until then, Aaron, as always, thank you so much for taking your time to join today.
0: Thanks for having me, Emily, it was fun.
1: Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you want to hear more from Aaron, definitely check out Master the Meta. I'll include that link in the description for today's episode. And if you have any questions just for us, for our team here, you want to reach out, say hi, you can always shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com or tweet us at MFIndustryFocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So, don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for his work behind the screen today. For Aaron Bush, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and Fool On.